Does anyone really believe that we're going to get closer to the cities that we want to have or what we think cities ought to be by knowing less about cities? I want to ask if knowledge is hegemonic, the ways in which communities contribute to the dialogue of science. Not to be involved in bringing the context to deal with that kind of technology out there is a mistake. Most of us believe we still have lots of things to learn about cities. It can be a pathway to progressive planning or a regression to technocracy. How do we ensure that the public interest is served? Hello, and welcome back to the Plenty Ideas That Matter podcast. A discourse on the changing world of urban planning among MIT professors and urban planners. I'm Takeo Kuwabara. And I'm David Lashansky. In this episode, we'll be mulling over ideas presented by David Sue, an assistant professor at DUSP, an urban planner, and one of the debate participants. Yes, and in case you've missed our previous episodes, we'll be bringing in audio presented by MIT faculty at a series of debates on the subject of urban planning and urban science along with excerpts from our own conversations with the speakers. Now, those of you who have been listening will know that the whole idea of urban science has been somewhat controversial among our guests. To the point where we've questioned whether it's even a thing at all, and if it is, if it's actually going to be a worthy or even ethical endeavor in the forthcoming age of urban planning. But David is actually a nice counterbalance to our previous guests. So he's on board with the whole idea of urban science? Yes, but it's not really that simple. Okay. Shall we start from the beginning then? Let's. How do you define urban planning? And where do you see the scope of that responsibility of the field? That's an interesting question. You know, urban planning, we exist in professional programs in most schools, sometimes in policy schools, mostly in architecture schools. And I always think of urban planning as coming from a lot of concerns about cities in the 1960s and 70s. You have riots in Watts, Newark, many other cities. You have Daniel Moynihan on the cover of Time as an urbanologist uh, trying to study the crisis of the cities. I think you actually have around the same year, you have Jane Jacobs and Lewis Mumford battling out for the National Books Critics Circle Award, which is pretty amazing, right? One of the biggest prizes in the U.S. Everyone's talking about cities in the 60s. So I think of our field as stemming from that time of urban crisis. Uh, I know all the programs start in the 1960s and 70s. I think of urban planning pretty broadly, though. I think of it not necessarily defined by the professional boundaries as much as the intellectual interests or the context in which we work. I do think planning has a strong prescriptive aspect where we really believe that planning researchers should and planning practitioners should make a difference in how cities actually work, right? It's really important that we actually work in the real world. At the same time, since so many people live in cities now, you can almost find any number of intellectual interests in cities because that's where most people are. And so I think of urban planning pretty broadly as we want to make differences in certain kinds of contexts. Uh, and the intellectual questions you can find there are pretty much as rich as most other fields of study because it's a spatial context, not so much defined in disciplinary terms. I have a pretty broad view of it. I think other people might have narrower views of urban planning. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty broad. And a lot of what he's talking about are things that Larry and Janelle hit on too. The foundation of today's urban planning in the 60s and 70s. 
the need to work on the ground in cities rather than have a gods-down approach to planning, working in a spatial context. Okay, so we're maybe just zooming out from Larry's super specific definition. Urban planning is the purposeful intervention through a complex web of institutions to enhance the quality of life in places and spaces into a definition that's maybe a bit more concerned with how we adapt to the future? Or maybe the present? I don't think we're gonna be immune from any changes in society. And I don't think academic research is immune from any changes in society. You see how much tech is shaping our lives for better or for worse right now. You see that our political system is trying to grapple with all these new means of communication. You see that our economic system is going to have to grapple with all these new means of production and consumption and how people work. So that's going to inevitably change cities. And even if we stick to the same definition of what urban planners do, it's going to change everything we study. So David is really talking about technology changing the way the world works. Where Larry and Janelle were talking a lot about their fears about the massive amounts of data coming from all this new technology, David's kind of taking a step back here and saying, okay, well, whether we like it or not, the tech is here and it's changing the way the world operates. Exactly. And here's where he really breaks from Larry and Janelle's cautionary model. He acknowledges that other groups of researchers and policymakers and other disciplines are already incorporating these changes. Basically, he's saying that we need to incorporate technology and big data into the world of urban planning because it's happening whether we like it or not. And there's clearly a supply and demand for expertise to manage and comment on these changes. But I'd also argue that this kind of passivity uniquely fits with folk planning history. Because of our early disciplinary hubris, we think of ourselves no longer as urban renewal experts. We think of ourselves as advisors to decision makers rather than decision makers. And unlike social, the other social sciences, we often talk about structures and groups and regulations and trends as if they're making decisions. Well, frankly, people really make decisions. Having said that, I do think that how we master or how we help shape those technologies is going to influence how much influence we have in the future in terms of the impact of our research and what we understand or envision or help people to envision what we and others want to do down the road. So what about the idea of agency with regard to technology? which was something Janelle touched on as a significant point of concern for her. Like we really don't realize how little agency we have as technology becomes central to even our most basic daily activities. Yes, and David went much deeper into this idea of agency and technology and how the concept affects the world of urban planning. I do agree with Janelle in the sense that I think technology moves really fast, and so I don't think we have the attention span to keep up with it necessarily. Uh, but I do think also, if you take a step back, it's entirely possible for people to be deliberate in how they use technology. I do think that there is some element of ignorance and obliviousness and, frankly, attention rationing where we simply don't have time to pay attention to all these details. And technology is moving so rapidly that, you know, you find out one day you can use Uber and you can suddenly start using Uber to change your commuting habits but you don't necessarily think about all the implications of Uber down the road. You think of it as this one competitive decision, I'd rather take an Uber black car than a yellow cab in New York City, but you may not know or think about what the whole implication is for the taxi cab medallion market, or you may not think about the multiplying scandals at Uber, right? You just don't have time to think about all those things. It's called a, 
think attention rationing. I do think there's an element of general societal ignorance about uh, what tech companies are about. You know, they say if if you don't know what the product of the company is, and if they're offering a service for free, you're the product. You know, I think as an urban planner, I don't really think that we can govern technology as a category anymore than we can govern cities as a category. I think the point I tried to make in the panel discussion or the debate we had earlier was that, you know, we have a role to play. And I tell my students all the time that our role to play is complementing other disciplines. And I really think that how intellectually successful we are and also how practically successful we are is really going to depend on how well we communicate with other disciplines because there are other people out there in the city. Everyone lives in cities and we have to deal with government, we have to deal with businesses, we have to deal with communities, we have to deal with advocates, we have to deal with a whole range of stakeholders. Uh, I don't think we should think to ourselves that we have any more control over Uber than we do over New York City. So David is really making a similar point to Larry and Janelle here, isn't he? He is, but it's with a totally new lens. Basically, we know that technology's influence and ubiquity is to a large extent out of our control as planners and users. But the way the planners use it and incorporate it into teaching, in research, in work, has to adapt to include it. And as a consequence, this idea of urban science and technology becomes a part of the pedagogy. I think there's room in the curriculum for us to teach urban science. I think it's definitely possible for us to uh, do a better job understanding cities with all these new tools. But those values that define urban planning as it's taught at MIT, about community engagement and involving the people in the cities in the crucial decision-making process, the things Larry was vehement about preserving, how do we preserve that? Well... Something David kept mentioning was that we really need to keep learning more and hold the past hubris, as he puts it, of the field from the 60s in our sightlines as urban planning evolves. But he also really accepts the intertwined state of the world and technology, as well as urban environments. He seems to reason from that that we must study, master, and implement parts of it into the urban planning practice. How do we teach groups of students to have certain values? I don't know if we necessarily teach students to have certain sets of values as much as equipping them to have certain skills individually. I think they're actually going to go off and implement these skills in the real world. They're going to take their own values into the real world. Human beings have thoughts and feelings and opinions, but actually we have these kinds of general codes or beliefs or values that are pervasive through groups of people. I think there is some aspect of being human that is separate than technology, right? fundamentally human characteristics, fundamentally human experiences. Clearly, we can think of those existing separate from technology, but we also know they're totally mediated by technology, right? We, uh, we know our experiences depend on our access to other people and things and material, and we know technology changes that. I guess what I'd say is that um, I don't think it's a really we're really having a question about do we want to change what human beings are fun fundamentally? But I think, I would say that's fundamentally changing what humans can do. I don't think even though education is a process of changing human beings, I don't think necessarily we that's a directed process. 
And actually, I feel that's the way about knowledge in general, that you can try to uncover knowledge, you can try to uncover knowledge for certain purposes, but ultimately how that knowledge changes people is not necessarily something that you can control or should even try to control. So um, I think of urban science technology is kind of a knowledge gathering process. We have to learn about it to understand what effect it's going to have on us. We will change as human beings whether we like it or not because we exist in larger cultures and societies and those societies use technologies in different ways. But can we do it in a purposeful or directed way? I think we can try to do it individually, we can try to do it as groups. Uh, can we do that with complete assurance of what the outcome will be? I think the fallacy of that argument is to think that somehow we are going to inculcate values that are going to have definite outcomes. I think you have to just realize that some outcomes we can achieve and some outcomes we don't achieve. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Planning Ideas That Matter podcast. We'll be presenting a few more ideas in upcoming episodes about the impact of incorporating urban science and technology into the urban planning process, especially concerning the ideas of security, privacy, and equity. Once again, we'd like to thank the debate participants, the Department of Urban Studies and Planning, and the debate organizers. And we'd also like to thank Professor David Sue for coming in and speaking with us. Until next time. Thanks. Bye. Everybody.